didn't hear it. Okay. So we have been going through the book of uh, Exodus, working our way through it, and we're on chapter 13, if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn there. And today I want to talk to you about a consecrated community, a consecrated community, and in case you haven't figured it out already, I'm talking about you all <laughs> and uh, the church at large and God's calling on our life to be a consecrated community. Consecrated, as you know, is a word that simply means dedicated, set apart for a particular purpose. And uh, that's what God has done for us. Let's pray, let's read, let's talk a little. Uh, our Father, in Jesus' name, this is your word, and we thank you for it. We thank you that your spirit has uh, written it uh, through holy men, and it is dependable. It has never proved wrong. And so, Lord, we, we give thanks that your word always proves true. Uh, it's, our, it's our impatience that's the problem, uh, not your word. And so, Father, we pray as you have um, taught us that uh, you would take this word uh, today, which is alive and is powerful, uh, that you would sanctify us by it, make us more like Jesus, teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness, uh, so that we leave uh, refreshed in Christ Jesus, uh, seeing him uh, a little more clearly and um, stirred by your spirit to follow him with more zeal. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Exodus chapter 13, I'm going to read the first 10 verses. We're going to look, Lord willing, at the first 16 verses, but I'm going to read the first 10, and we'll stop and talk about it and then go on. Uh, please hear God's word. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out, and when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Havites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. A consecrated community. Um, we have a... Uh, responsibility, as we'll see in this passage, uh, to respond to what God has done. God has loved us. He has been gracious to us. 
And uh, we have a responsibility to love God and to share Him with, with others, and in this case, particularly the next generation, and not to uh, have what uh, can be called a private faith. Sometimes we say that you don't talk about religion and you don't talk about politics. You don't get into those because they always raise arguments and always raise issues with people. And uh, at least one of those goes directly counter to what God has said. Uh, we are actually supposed to talk about, uh, I don't know whether it's religion, but we're supposed to talk about our faith in Jesus Christ and what God has done and the relationship that we have with Him is something that should be talked about on a daily basis. We read responsibly how as soon as we rise up in the morning, we're supposed to be talking about Him. When we sit around the table, we're supposed to be talking about Him. When we walk along the way, we are to be talking about Him. When we go to sleep at night, we're supposed to be talking about Him. And um, why all the hype and talk because God is just that good. God is that wonderful. God is that majestic. God is that splendid. God is that worthy of that kind of attention and worthy of that kind of repeated and constant mention. Uh, he's just got it like that. Um, when we get to heaven one day, um, we won't be talking about um, who won the game because we already know who won the game. It wasn't a game, and Jesus won. Um, and, and we won't be talking about uh, who your favorite team is, uh, because you're on uh, the MVP. Uh, you've got the MVP. What's that, the most valuable player? That shows how much I watch this stuff. But um, <laughs> the MVP is the most valuable player, and there's something, there's some acronym for the, the most important team. Uh, but you're on that team already. Uh, the most valuable player is, is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and so we've been drawn into that uh, community, and it's worth, uh, worth talking about. Uh, we're to remember uh, the Lord who loves us. That's what Moses says in, in verse 3 of chapter 13. That's what we endeavor to do at this table every week, is remember the one, the Lord, who loves us. Uh, God claims, uh, in this passage, He claims a portion. He claims the firstborn. And he claims a portion um, uh, because he really owns everything. It's just like when you give a portion of your wealth to God. Uh, we call it tithing. We call it giving as the Lord has prospered you in the New Testament. But you, you give to God uh, for his work, and that's a way of saying God owns everything. And I'm just recognizing that by giving a portion back to him. And um, so the giving of the firstborn is a way of, of representing that God owns everything. And your children <clears throat> and, and children, uh, they belong to God. Um, some, some say, well, your kids are not my problem. I've, I've already been through the, 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 the snotty noses and the, the diapers and all that. All my kids are grown at this point. But, but lo and behold, you, you're still responsible in the consecrated community for everybody in the consecrated community. Even though your kids may not have diapers now, you're still responsible at some level for the kids who do have diapers. Uh, hello. Um, if you're a part of the consecrated community, everybody in that community, we are responsible for one another. Wasn't that what Cain, that was his argument? 
uh, his self-defense to God? Am I my brother's keeper? And of course the answer is, uh, yes, you are, duh. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, you are most certainly your brother's keeper and your sister's keeper too. Um, and uh, so, so our children belong to God. And uh, you and I, would, we'd be better parents, wouldn't we? Better mentors, better examples. If you don't have kids yet, you're still a mentor. You're still an example. You're still influencing. You're still having an impact. Um, we would be better at that if we recognize the fact that they're not mine. They actually belong to God. Behold, the Bible says, children are a heritage from the Lord. They actually belong to him. He created them. He knit them together in their mother's womb, and he made them the way they are, and they're his, and he's given them to us as an entrustment. Um, and so, so therefore, um, we, we have to ask ourselves the question with respect to whether it's the firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn, or, you know, my great-grandfather had 26 kids. I mean, he had issues, clearly. Um, but whether, you know, whatever it might be, um, we have to be asking that question, what does God want with them? And uh, sometimes we're overwhelmed with what we want with them. And we have to step back and say, well, what does God want with them? They're his. He gave them to us. We give them back to him and say, what, what do you want with them? Um, and God's claim, God's claim of the firstborn in this passage um, in verses 1 and 2 and, and, um, and, um, and throughout this passage, his claim with uh, them is, is a further reminder to Israel. It, it reminded them of the death of Egypt's firstborn. And uh, the only reason why Israel's firstborn didn't die was because of the blood of the Lamb. That's the only reason they didn't die. It wasn't because of their pedigree, it wasn't because of their race or ethnicity, it wasn't because of who their daddy was or their mommy was, it was because of the blood of the lamb. And, uh, and so, so, our, so, so our significance, our children's significance is not found, our identity is not found in, in our race, our identity is not found in our ethnicity. Uh, you may be who you are, and that's great. God made you that way, and God made you that hue. Uh, but your identity is to be rooted in the fact that God loves you, and God has spilled his blood on the cross for you. And you have been bought by the Lamb of God. And uh, if you find your identity in anything other than Jesus Christ, you are always going to find yourself frustrated in life because you feel unrecognized or unaccepted, and, um, and it's not about uh, those other things, it's not about uh, your bank account, it's not about your, the color of your skin, it is about the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, God has sent his son, he has shed his blood, he has saved your soul, he has filled you with his spirit, and that is your identity. You are a holy nation, you're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you are the property of God Almighty, and you have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light to declare the excellencies of Jesus Christ. That is who you are. 
from the time you wake up to the time you lay yourself down in a grave, that is who you are. Your identity is a child of God. You are his son. You are his daughter. And that makes all the difference in life. When you're snubbed, when you're given the cold shoulder, when you seem like you've been overlooked or underlooked or whatever it might be, you have to take a step back and say, wait a minute, I'm a child of, of God Almighty. Jesus is my King and Savior. And um, what can man or woman do to me? And whatever God wants for you in this life cannot be touched or tampered with when you walk with Him. Nobody can touch it. Nobody can take it from you. But if you're trying to say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm this and, 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 and I want to be recognized, and, but, if, but if you take a step back and say, Lord Jesus, I belong to you. You belong to me. You put me on this earth for a purpose. And don't let me leave this earth until that purpose is accomplished. So I, with Paul, can say, I fought the good fight. I finished my course given to me by God. I've kept the faith, and now there is a crown of righteousness waiting for me that the righteous judge is going to award me with one day when I see him face to face and everybody who is in love with his appearing. So we have to get that in our, in our woodwork on a daily basis. We've got to preach that truth to ourselves um, uh, regularly. Um, Israel and, and you, by extension, uh, are, are to remember the Lord's love. Uh, it says um, in, in verse um, 3, the middle of verse 3, it says, uh, for, for by a strong hand uh, the Lord brought you out from this place. In this first 16 verses, that phrase happens four times. God repeats himself because he wants us to recognize something as, as a priority. It was by a strong hand and um, that he brought them out. And, and uh, their exodus in this 16 verses is, is talked about seven times. It's referenced in these first 16 verses of chapter 13. That God is making a point that it was by his strong hand, his power, that they got out of Egypt. And it's the same with, with you. Uh, the Bible says, uh, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is, the, it, is, it is the power of God to save. It is God's power. The righteous God's power to righteously save unrighteous people and to declare them and to make them righteous in Christ Jesus. Uh, and and, and, and that, that is the gospel. It, it is, it's a righteous God and an unrighteous people, and a righteous God chooses a righteous path to make unrighteous people righteous in Christ. That's wonderful. It's glorious that God has given you the gift of righteousness. When God looks at you, trusting in Jesus, He sees you as just as righteous and just as sinless as Jesus is. That's amazing. It's amazing when you think about your history of unrighteousness. That the cross of Jesus Christ is all sufficient. That the person of Jesus Christ is all sufficient. His righteous record is yours. 
His blood shed, His, His, His taking the punishment that we deserve. Uh, it's yours. And you are, you are right with God and you are in the process by the Spirit, by the Word, in the context of the community, being made righteous, being sanctified uh, daily by the power of God. And um, in, in light of the fact that with a strong hand, God brought them out. It says at the end of verse 3, uh, no leaven uh, bread shall be eaten. And it, that, that, that is repeated throughout this uh, section, that no leaven should be found in their house, no leaven should be eaten. Um, you and I are called to an unleavened life. I don't know if you've ever... Um, well, I don't think you can now because they've changed the nozzle diameter, but if you ever put leaded gas in an unleaded car, uh, it doesn't, doesn't work well. Um, and uh, you and I are called to an unleavened life. And, and as you know, um, we spoke about this last week, but you know, it, it's in chapter 12. It appears again in chapter 13 because God wants to drive the point home. You know, when, when God repeats himself, he's making a point. He didn't have Microsoft Office. He didn't have boldface and underline and italicized. Um, so the way he made his point is he kept repeating himself over and over again. And, um, and so we, we see here um, that in this passage, uh, we're called to have, Israel was called to have no leaven in their house. And, and leaven, as you know, was a way of saying that God has, is wasting no time. He is zealous to save his people. He is zealous to subdue their enemies. He is on fire with this. God, is, God wants to save his people. He wants to subdue their foes. And he said, you can't, there's no time to wait. There's no time to wait for bread to rise. There's no time to wait for flour to ferment. You've got to get out of here. God is on a move. And they had to eat it all dressed with their staff, ready to go. Because God is in a hurry to save people. God is in a hurry to subdue his enemy. And, um, and we have to be people who, um, who recognize that. That's what's being emphasized. Nobody can stop God from saving his people and subduing his enemy. God is all-powerful. And uh, we're called to remember that, and Israel was called to remember that with feasting. Uh, it says in verse 6 at the end that there shall be seven days where they eat unleavened bread. God is rubbing it in. And He wants us to rub it in our lives. The reality that He's on fire to save. He's on fire to subdue the enemy. And, um, and He wants His people, He wanted them here to recognize that for a whole week. To recognize His, his zeal to bring about salvation. Notice something else also, uh, that they were to, they were to uh, celebrate this, this unleavened, this Passover, uh, this Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were to celebrate that when they got into Canaan. When God overcame uh, the, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Havites, the Jebusites, all of them, they were to celebrate this when they were already experiencing and enjoying the promise. You know, sometimes we feel like, well, I got saved and I heard the gospel and let me move on to something greater and higher and better. Let me move on to the next step. And uh, we see here that God says there is no next step. Uh, you don't graduate from the gospel. 
And even when the promise has been received, even when the promise is being enjoyed, uh, you are a people who are called to celebrate uh, the, 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 the blood of the Lamb, to celebrate how you got out. Can you imagine going to heaven, seeing Jesus, um, and seeing the, the wounds in his, his body, his glorified body, and saying, giving him a high five and saying, thanks for that, what's next? Um, can you imagine being in heaven and, and not, not, not celebrating how you got there? That doesn't seem to make sense, you know. Uh, it just doesn't logically flow. Um, but we are called to be people who are, who are filled with, with a joy uh, because of what God has done in Christ Jesus. Careful keepers of worship, feasting, rejoicing in the Lamb. That's part of what we do when we, we have the supper. We are, we are celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, we're, we're eating and we're drinking in faith to Jesus. And, um, and I commit to you that, that you can't do anything in life right if you are not rested in, rooted in, rejoicing in the Gospel. The Gospel has to be your foundation. It has to be your motivation in everything that happens. I mean, the Gospel tells us about the love of God. We love because He loved us first. Our whole life can be summed up as loving God and loving neighbor. Well, we don't do any of that without first recognizing how we've been loved. So we always come back to the Gospel. We always root everything in the Gospel. Um, the Lord wants to drive that point home. And then it says in verse um, 8 that we're supposed to tell our son on the day that, that why are we, why was Israel doing this? Why are we eating unleavened bread? You know, <clears throat> I don't know about your family, but sometimes around the table when a meal is repeated, uh, children say, well, I don't want to eat this. I, I, we had this yesterday. And uh, my, my typical response is, excuse me, we didn't give you a menu um, you are not paying us, and you can't cook. Uh, so just eat the food, all right? And so, but here we see that they're called seven days to eat the same thing, unleavened bread. Well, is there anything else, Dad? Is there anything else, Mom, for dinner? Um, and, and, and so, so but, but here we are called to, to really rest in, rejoice in the praiseworthy deeds of God. Don't tire of what God has done. God wants to drive the point home. Um, and we're supposed to testify to the next generation. We're supposed to tell our children, they were supposed to tell their children, this is why we have unleavened bread again tonight. Because when we were in Egypt, this is how it was, and this is what the Lord did for me when we were in Egypt. And um, he brought us out. And, and it says here that it shall be a sign on your hand a memorial between your eyes. And here's the reason. Look at the verse carefully in verse 9. Here's the reason that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. Uh, the reason why they were to eat this unleavened bread and, and the reason why they were to celebrate and feast to the Lord was that they might love Him. That the law of the Lord might be in their mouth. It's the same as the law of the Lord being in their heart. That which fills the heart comes out of the mouth, Jesus says, that, that there might be a love for God in them that's driven by and rooted in God's love for them. That's the reason why this, this lesson has gone over, that there might be 
an, an intimate, captivating, overwhelming obsession with Jesus who loves us. That um, we might be simply overwhelmed and floored by what God has done for us in Christ. That we be people who are, who are rejoicing in our redemption and have never gotten over the fact that a sinner like me got saved by a holy God like him. That we never got over it. You ever, you ever remember when you first met your love? If you've met your, your love, you know? If you're single, God help you to meet that. If that's your calling, if God may call you to be single and just love Jesus. But you, the first time, the first time, Roberta Fax sang that, didn't you? The first time ever I saw your face. I felt the earth move. You remember that? Now it's like, you know, put some makeup on, you know, something like that. I don't say that, of course. I'm just using it as a hypothetical example. I'm just saying that, that when, you know, and, and so you never got over it. My dad always said, Brian, never get off your honeymoon. And that's the way we're to be with, with Jesus. We never got off the honeymoon. We never lost it. You know, and the hymn writer teaches us, can our, rest, can our zeal no respite? No, we know our zeal knows respite. But how do you... You know, when the thrill is gone, right? How do you find it again, right? You know, that's a domino. I found my thrill, right? And, uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going back into the, yeah, pray for me, would you? Sit there and pray for me, right? But, but how do you find your thrill again? You, you have to go back to where you found it. You got to go back to the cross. You got to go back to Calvary. You got to go back and tell the story. That's why, that's, it's not only for the sons and the next generation that you tell the story, it's for yourself. You know, I don't know how many times my, my romance has been stirred when, when people ask me, how'd you meet your wife? And we go back over the whole story of how we, how we met and how we courted each other, and it just stirs all kinds of emotion in you. Well, I mean, that's the way God made us. And so, I mean, you know, you do the same thing with Jesus. You go back and say, well, where did I first meet Jesus after all? And, and what was that like? And you go and tell yourself the story. That's what God's telling his people to do here. He says, when you get in the land, don't forget what happened and how you got in the land and how you got out of, the, out of the foreign land. Tell your children, tell your son, tell your daughter, this is the way it happened. Stir the flame, you know, and, uh, and tell the story um, of what the Lord has done for you. And, and so, so, that, so that you might love the Lord, that his law might be in your mouth, might be in your heart, um, and he, he drives the point home, look at verse 10. You shall therefore keep this statute at this appointed time from year to year. So that, you know, how are you going to get the law of the Lord in your mouth, in your heart, that you keep feasting and celebrating on Jesus and what he's done for you? Um, and this calls us to be zealous about, about ridding our life of idolatry and sin. You know, what do you give yourself to? Is there leaven in your house, you know? They were supposed to go carefully around and look for leaven in their house. Some of the TV shows that we watch are like leaven, right? They, they don't drive the point home of what God did for you. They don't stir in you that flame of fire of what Jesus is to you. Uh, some of the books we read are like that too. They're like leaven. Some of the attitudes that we have are like idolatry. Wanting, having to always be appreciated by people and always accepted by everybody. That's idolatry after a while. It's good to be accepted. It's good to be appreciated. But if it becomes a thing for you, it becomes idolatry. And um, there's just certain places maybe that we go and certain desires that we have and certain aspirations that we have. Are they leaven? Or are they really training us to live an unleavened life, a life that's just full of God and full of Jesus? 
These points are emphasized that um, the future generation might know and love Jesus. You know, we all talk about stuff that we need in, in this world. We need good doctors. We need good teachers. Right now, we need a vaccine, right? Um, we talk about all the stuff we need, but you know, the thing we need more than anything else, the thing we need for the next generation more than anything else, if you're a parent, you're thinking like this, even if you're not a parent, you're thinking about this, what the world needs now, um, we need people who know and love Jesus and love and live like Jesus. More than anything else in this world, that is what we need. We need people who know Jesus, who love Jesus, and who love like Jesus and live like Jesus. That can shape a whole generation. We need an intense, intimate, captivating, overwhelming obsession with God's love in Christ and a love for God and for others in response to him. Number two, a sacrifice to the Lord who saves you. And this is a shorter point, and so um, Lord willing, we'll make it through before anybody falls asleep, if they haven't already. If they have, they're sitting next to you, nudge them, wake them up. Um, let's look at verse 11, Exodus 13, 11. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of the donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn, you'll break the donkey's neck, not your son's neck. Read it right. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of the land, out of Egypt, from the house of slavery, for when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt." And so again, it's emphasized when you enjoy and experience the promises that God has given, don't forget him. Don't forget about God, the giver. Um, giving back to God what, what, um, what, what he's given to you. So these Israelites were given firstborn, whether it's of animal, whether it's of, of sons, they were to give those back to God. The animals were to be given. A donkey was an animal that wasn't... Uh, necessarily fit for sacrifice, so the donkey was to be redeemed by a lamb, or if it wasn't to be redeemed, its neck was to be broken, and um, seems like a cruel thing to do, right? Just break its neck, you know? Um, and then the firstborn sons were to be redeemed. Uh, an offering was to be given on their behalf. And here again, God is driving home the point. Notice what it says, that God uh, killed the firstborn of Pharaoh's when Pharaoh was stubborn. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the Egyptians' ethnicity that caused this to happen, and it wasn't the ethnicity of the, of the Israelites that caused them to be saved. Again, it was the blood of the Lamb. Egypt didn't have blood on their doors. Israel did, and that's why they got redeemed. And so God aims to drive home again this point 
and, and to drive it home in the land when the promise is enjoyed, that it's by the blood of the lamb that you're enjoying the promises of God. It's by the blood of the lamb that you've entered Israel into the promised land. It's by the blood of the lamb that you will enter the promised land. And so he, he, he wants his people to recognize this, uh, to set their children apart. The firstborn, again, was a way of saying the whole is set apart to God, but God calls the firstborn to be set apart. Uh, later on in Israel's history, the Levites uh, subbed for the firstborn. God said, don't bring your firstborn anymore. I've, I've set the Levites apart, and, and they're going to sub for the firstborn. And, and in Christ Jesus, we are all priests. And so in some sense, we all, we all have that blessing of the firstborn. Uh, we are heirs of God. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, who is the firstborn. And um, we are all priests of God and we are all set apart, called to be consecrated in our individual lives as well as our corporate lives. We're called to be set apart for the Lord's service. We're to be set apart as living sacrifices for God's holy use in view of God's great mercies. The Apostle Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, in view of what God has mercifully done, offer yourselves, as your bodies, as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God. This is what it means to spiritually worship God, to offer your whole self over to Him. Um, we're to be dedicated in our lives. In the New Covenant, every single thing, as it says in Zechariah 14, uh, 20, and 21, it says, even the bells on the horses will say, holy to the Lord. In the New Covenant, every single thing is to be dedicated over to Jesus. Everything is His. Even the insignificant bells on the horses um, are to be, say, holy to the Lord. Uh, one commentator said that um, when Moses left, he said, not a hoof shall remain. A hoof was the most insignificant part of the animal. The most the most. Um, the cheapest, inexpensive part. And, and Moses says, every single thing we have is to be given over to God. Everything is to be given. And, and again, search your heart, search my heart, and look in your house. Or as, as things, can, you, can you point to things in your house and say, hey, I have this because it's been dedicated to Jesus. Everything in this house, dedicated to Jesus. Everything in your life, dedicated to Him. Is it true of us that everything is? Um, sacrifices were given to remind Israel um, what, what was free for them cost someone something. They got out free. They, it, it cost someone. You got saved. It was free. But it cost Jesus his life. He got it back, but it cost him his life to set you free. And it wasn't cheap. Um, the blood of the blood of Jesus, you can't put a price on it. Um, and so, so we are to have that, that attitude that we've been saved by grace uh, through faith. It's not of ourselves. It, it doesn't come from us. It's a gift from God. It's, it's not of works lest anyone should boast. We are God's workmanship. God knit you together in your mother's womb once and he knit you together in Christ again. It's God's workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And again, when children come, 
and, and sons asks, what does it mean? What does it mean? It means, as, as you see, um, it, it means in verse um, 14, um, when children ask, um, what does it mean? It means the power of God. It means that God has a power to save and a power to subdue, that the righteous God has a way of making unrighteous people like us righteous in Christ Jesus. And let it be said of us that we don't tire of hearing that around the table. That we're not tired of hearing about the gospel. That it's something that flows out of our life. I recall I was sharing with someone this week how I used to work for a pharmaceutical company and, and I used to work the dirty side. And, and, and I got all the pans of all the animals and, and all of the dirt, all of the poop, all of the urine. It was disgusting. It smelled. It was dirty. I was hitting it with a hose and scraping with a hammer and stuff was flying on me. It was a deplorable scene. And I went home mad. I was mad. I said, God, how can I do this as unto you and unto man? You say, do everything as unto you. Then 3 o'clock in the morning, I woke up. It dawned on me. Brian, the life is your pan. The poop and the urine is your sin. The scraper is the word of God. The hose is the Holy Spirit. You flip the pan, that's conversion. You push it through the machine, that's sanctification and baptism. And over in glory, there's somebody dressed in white, stacking everybody in unity. I went in the next day. I was singing hymns and slamming pans and all this stuff. Someone came over and said, what are you doing? I said, have you heard the parable of the pan washer? And they said, dude, you've been doing this too long. And, and, but but, but, but here's, the, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. The head of the department of LAS came down, Laboratory Animal Science, came down and said, what are you doing? I told her the parable of the pan washer. She said, can you put that in an email? Send it to me. She sent it to the whole United Kingdom LAS department. Through my weakness, God used the gospel to preach internationally. All about poop and urine. God took that mess and flipped it and shared the gospel. It was in their newsletter in the United States. God is amazing. The gospel is amazing. Don't ever lose it. And look at what it says here. It says, let it be like frontlets between your eyes and, 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 some, and, and, and made like a mark on your hand. And you know the phylacteries that the Pharisees used to wear. The point is that you don't walk around wearing stuff on your head and all that stuff, but the point is that everything you see in life, you see it through what God has done. Let it be between your eyes. Let it be something, let it be like a pair of glasses you wear on. The gospel is a pair of glasses you put on every morning and everything in life you see through the gospel. And everything you do, you do driven by the gospel. Let it be a mark on your hand that all you do is driven. It comes from, from Jesus. Um, I washed the dishes one time. I, I do it more than once, um, just to let you know. Uh, and my, my wife thanked me, and I felt to myself, I said, you should really thank Jesus because he's the reason I did it. Because I, was, I didn't want to do them. And, and the only thing that drove me, I, I do want to do them regularly, though, dear. Um, but, but the point is that everything is driven by the gospel. Uh, let, let's, let's come to a close. This, this sacrifice, this gift, it testifies to God's power to save. God, God gave us a firstborn son. He gave us Jesus. And Jesus Christ was sent to die like an Egyptian. He was sent to die as if he was the guilty one. As if he was the one who sinned. He was the one who was punished. He was the one who was absorbing the wrath of God upon himself. And it was so that you and I might be a son, a daughter, might be preserved by God. 
and might be set apart, consecrated for his holy use. Get yourself wrapped around that reality. You were an enemy. You were ungodly. I was ungodly. You were a sinner. And God saved us in Jesus and said, partner with me. That's amazing. Former enemies, now partners. Not only partners, now sons and daughters. Family. It's a family business. It's a family family move that God would call us sons and call us daughters, call us into a relationship with him, make us heirs with God, make us joint heirs with Jesus Christ, give us a relationship with him, send us into this world as consecrated people who are ready to be used by him. We've been redeemed, we've been delivered, we've been dedicated, we've been domesticated, we've been brought into his family. And God loves us. God loves you. And God wants to use you What does it say? Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than anything you ask or imagine according to what? The power at work in you. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. You are a powerhouse through Jesus Christ. Father, Son, by the Spirit lives in you. Wherever you go, he's there. And he wants to use you wherever you are just in in casual conversations or in dedicated conversations, God wants you to be a gospel witness, a testimony. You're, You're a living epistle. You're a letter written by the Spirit of God to the world so that people can read you and see Jesus in you and say, I want that. I want Jesus. I want to be saved. How'd you get it? Just in everyday conversations, Get up each morning and say, here I am, Lord. Wherever I go, whoever I'm with, would you use me today to make a name for Jesus, to make you famous in this world, to bring you glory, to bring you praise. And I challenge you to do that. God will do it. He'll work through you in ways that will blow your mind for his glory and for his name. If you make the gospel central in your house, if you make it central in your life, If you ask God, God, make it central to me. I don't even want it to be central sometimes, but God, help me to want to want what I ought to want. Make it central to me. And may my life flow from the cross of Jesus Christ and use me on this earth if I only live a minute more. Use me to make a name for you. Things like coronavirus, they get you thinking about your mortality, don't you? Don't they? And what what, what does your life mean? And and, and you, 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 you... you, you've got to go back to the gospel of, of, and, and that, that glory vision of seeing Jesus' face and seeing and hearing him say, well done, welcome home, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You've been faithful over just a little bit of things and I'm going to make you faithful over more. God will give it. Whatever God wants from you, he's going to get, he'll equip you to do it. It's scary sometimes, it's hard sometimes, but you pray, you ask God, God, give me grace, give me strength. I don't even want to, do, I don't even want to talk to this person about Jesus. But Lord, give me grace to do it. Here I go. I know you're with me. Open your mouth and let him speak. Let's pray. Our Father, in Christ's name, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the blood of Jesus, for uh, the life of the Lamb offered up freely, generously, lavishly on a cross as a criminal dying, being punished as a sinner, but yet 
holy, 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 who was and always was and remains to be. Father, thank you that he took our sin, he took our shame, he took our blame, and, and he reigns now, Lord. You raised him from the dead to declare him holy, holy, holy. You raised him from the dead to declare him Lord. And you've given him dominion that will never end. Father, help us to catch the vision of what you've done with Christ and what you're doing with your people. And Father, I pray that you'd use us powerfully wherever we go, the likes of us, little old us. Father, I pray that you'd use us powerfully. That's what you, that's what you bring praise to yourself. You take a, 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 a group of people like the Israelites who were the least amount of people and you, and you make a name for yourself. Father, I pray that no matter what we think about ourselves, Father, make a name for yourself through us. That you'd give us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity of sharing the gospel, of sharing Jesus, of telling our story of how we got saved. And Father, would you use it so that there might be a generation now and a generation after us who are captivated and intensely, intimately obsessed with who Jesus is and what he's done and obsessed with loving him and loving like him. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.